Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders to kick this one off to a couple collection updates because the weather is warming up quite a bit over here and it's actually it's kind of scary because I'm not a big fan of the summer. I like the time off during the summer, but I'm not a big fan of the hot weather. And my tarantula room for the last three days has hit 82 degrees, which it usually does only rarely during the hottest days in the summer. So we're already getting that hot weather in, and it's only the beginning of June. But the good news is with the hot weather comes the faster metabolisms and faster growth rates. So it usually means multipalooza as far as the tarantulas are concerned, and we've had quite a few molts, so exciting molts the last couple Days, the first big one being my Laziodora parahybana female. I just featured her in a video where we, we rehoused her into one of the Lorax Plastics enclosures, and I was really excited because she's got a lot of extra room now. And it was a good thing I did because she ate a couple times, and then like two weeks later, she was thrown down the molting mat, which I was shocked because I had fed her a bunch of large crickets to fatten her up a bit. You know, I always like, once I get them in a new house, I have this new enclosure. I have this thing where I like to see them eat as soon as possible because it kind of makes me feel like they've settled in. So I dropped in a bunch of crickets and I'm talking the big ones, the big fat over an inch long crickets. She ate a bunch of them. Two weeks later, I walk in there. She's laying down her molt mat and then came in the other morning, she's flipped over. It took her about, it was, a, it was a quicker one compared to the last one because I think the last time she molted, it was around almost like an entire day. She was flipped over when I came down in the morning and it wasn't until later that afternoon she molted. This time I caught her, she had flipped over in the morning and by like noonish she had molted. So it was a rather quick one and she has put on a, it looks like a great deal of size. My son, my 17-year-old Roan is kind of obsessed with her because he's always... He has this thing where he is obsessed with whatever the biggest spider in my collection currently is, whatever it was. So back in the day, it was obviously my Sturmies, and now it's this one because she seems to be the – she's probably right now the largest one, although I have another molt coming up that we'll talk about that might match her as far as actual leg span, but the biggest one in the collection. So he's in there. Everybody's looking at her, and she's spread out doing the planking, which is amazing. And I pulled the molt out, and the molt was a solid eight and a quarter inches, and that was you know right afterwards – so I'm guessing she's probably pushing nine inches now. So for years of telling people, you know what, if you get an LP, don't be surprised if they don't hit that mythical 10-inch mark. I This one could be headed toward it. We'll see. I mean, I haven't had her all that long, maybe seven, eight years or so, and she was a decent size when I got her, probably around the inch and three quarters mark. So she was a, definitely a well-started sling slash juvenile, but uh, big, big girl now. I mean, easily, she's got to, I'm assuming she has to be around nine inches or maybe just short of it. So obviously she's not that old. These guys are known to live to 20 years, so it's very, very conceivable that she's going to hit that mythical 10-inch mark and larger. So we'll see. I might have the first one. I did have one. I, I shouldn't say that. I finally had one person show me a molt from theirs. It was a big female that had molted, and it was obviously well over the 10-inch mark. There's video out there. I believe uh, Love Tarantulas put it out there about Lazy Door Parahybana, and at the end, he breaks out a female that is absolutely gigantic and almost it, it literally the same type of girth and thickness as a Theraphosa species. So there are obviously ones that reach that mark, and I've always known that. It's just one of those deals where I don't think they get there as quickly as people think, and it's not as common to get one of the super large Laziodora species. It's just one of those ones that you get them, and if you, you know, nine-inch spider is still a huge spider, but I think a lot of people pick them up thinking they're going to hit that mythical one-foot mark, you know, that the size of a dinner plate thing they always use as a comparison. And that doesn't happen as often as I think people would like to believe. But again, I do. I know there are ones out there that are big because I get some people that get really frustrated with me, I think, sometimes. Because my only point is don't expect that you're going to get one of the 12-inch ones. A lot of people pick them up thinking they're going to have a foot-long spider, and that's 
not usually what they end up to be. So just throwing that out there, the other tarantula that molded, well, there's a couple. One, the other one that I was kind of excited about and realized she was in pre-molt the other day when I went to toss some crickets in and she threat posed them as one of the only threat poses I've ever received from a piece of Letharia species. My, one of my pair of uh, piece of Letharia rufaladas has molted. Now, this one was already about seven and three quarters inches. It was great because the other day she was actually on the side of the enclosure stretched out like pokies will do. So it was easy to get a measurement on. And again, my son was in there because again, he's obsessed with whichever spider I have is the biggest. And we got a good measurement on her. So God only knows how big she is now. She is a very gangly, leggy girl. I saw her in there. It was one of those deals where I'm in there with a flashlight and I see it almost looked like she was dangling upside down from her cork bark. I'm like, oh dear, that doesn't look good. And I shine the light on it. No, that was just where her molt was. She had pushed her molt up and it just appeared to be hanging from it. And there she was spread out underneath it. So looking huge, I'll get a good measurement on her. But that's one of those species I was late to the game picking up. And I think I just hadn't seen great pictures of them. I had no idea they were green. And obviously I have a thing about green spiders and green tarantulas. So it's amazing having being a huge, obviously fan of the genus Pisolotheria. And being somebody who obviously likes green spiders, it's amazing it took me so long to get some, but I did get two of them, and now they're two big, beefy females, so very excited to see that one. Can't wait to see her out on the side of the enclosure so I can get a good measurement on her, and if she's big enough, it may warrant a rehousing at this point, although I was hoping these were, would last them to adulthood. She's looking pretty good, good size before that, so we're going to have to see how it goes as far as, you know, does she need something a little bit bigger? If so, I'm probably eyeballing one of those 12 by 12 by 18 inch Exoterra Nanos, I think would give her enough space, but we'll see how it goes. And another one that molted was my Theraphosa Apophysis. This was just a sling, but again, I'm really excited about growing these guys up. I picked up two of them recently, and they've been on the top of my wish list for quite some time, so incredibly excited to finally have one. This one molted uh, just, I think, Sunday of last week, and I fed it for the first time yesterday. It ate ravenously, so very excited about seeing those guys grow up. And again, it's been a species. I love the Theraphosa species. I've, I've been obsessed with them since picking up my first Sturmy, which was a young adult male years ago. And since then, I picked up, obviously, Blondie and now Apophysis. So love the genus and love the—I think the big thing that attracts me to them, first off, is the amazing growth rate. They grow so quickly, so fast, and put on so much size in between molts. Uh, they're voracious eaters. They're very visible. And they're just gorgeous spiders. I know some people think they're just big brown spiders. I do not see them as such. They're just, uh, just I'm in awe of them. So very excited to grow those up and very happy with that molt. Can't wait for the other one to molt too, which should be coming pretty soon because it's looking like a little grape about to pop right now. So those are just three molts I'm really excited about. Again, like anybody in the hobby, I still find molts to be fascinating and exciting. That means your tarantula is doing well. It means it's growing and I like sharing it. So Moving on into the main part of the podcast for this morning, we're going to be talking about communal setups. I don't know what's it must be in the air, but I've been getting a lot of questions about communals lately. I think with people having extra money from the stimulus checks and whatnot, we're going out and purchasing a lot of tarantulas. And I think a lot of people are seeing it as their opportunity to pick up that dream communal they've always imagined themselves having. But I do have some thoughts on communals overall, and I wanted to share them here because I do obviously have a couple communals, have tried a couple communals with other spiders. And I, I think it's something that deserves some thought and some discussion before people get into them. So uh, this one, we're talking about kind of the fascination with communals, which I think is obvious. But the fact that in many corners of the hobby, they there's a stigma surrounding them. A lot of people are not fond of communals at all. If you go on to, say, arachnoboards and say, I want to put... 
a communal together of such and such spiders, you're going to get a lot of people to jump on telling you that that's a good way to get your spiders killed, that they're going to get eaten. And I, I think that's... I, I think it's something that shouldn't be discounted. That mindset should not be discounted. It should be, we should give it some thought because I do find that with communals, you always have to remember that there is some risk involved. Now, so first off, let's talk a minute about why we're so fascinated by them. Well, for those of us who raise tarantulas, we've been taught from day one that they're highly cannibalistic, that they're solitary animals, that the only time they really mingle with other members of their species is during mating time. And it's as we all know, during those mating situations, it's often the case the female will devour and eat the male. So in our minds, these guys are not to be kept together. However, when suddenly we see examples of people keeping certain species together and they seem to be living peacefully, that is a fascinating image. I remember the first time I saw pictures, I believe it was NNC, it was a video about NNC, which was HNC at the time, and somebody had a communal of a bunch of them. I thought that was one of the most fascinating things I had ever seen in my life. There was just so many of them. They were kind of moving around each other. They didn't. There was no friction, and I thought that was just amazing. I think a lot of us get caught up in that and become obsessed with the idea idea of keeping one of these communals. Now, the problem is there's a couple things that keep people from getting communals. Number one, first and foremost, is probably the cost. Depending on the species, the species that I have found in my experience, and I think a lot of other people have found in their experiences, is the best for a communal setup is the Monocentropus balfouri. More often than not, these guys do very well in a communal setup. The majority of reports are good. And occasionally, you're going to have a report of something going wrong, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I think the general consensus is with these guys, they not only tolerate each other, but seem to do very well in a communal setup. And I think for many people, they see these videos out there, and a lot of people have M. Balfouri communals now. It's become very popular. YouTubers, there's find a YouTuber. It seems like the majority of them have them now, which is great because I think people are seeing many, many examples that reinforce that idea that this can happen. I, you could put one together, it can be successful. But the big deterrent is the price because you now have to purchase that many spiders. For a lot of people, buying just one M. Balfouri is pricey. Now imagine doing, you know, three, four, five, six with that looming risk that something might go wrong with it. I think it scares a lot of people off. So I think that's a big thing with the communal setups is that the cost can be prohibitive. Now, the other thing that I think kind of turns people off sometimes is it seems like the ones that do the best in the communal setup. The, the the majority of the communal spiders are ones thought to be communal spiders are old world species. So now you're considering the idea where you're going to have to at some point deal with and rehouse not just one old world in a cage, but several old worlds in a cage. I know when I post up my videos of my Pisotheria metallica communal, I get some comments about people like, I can't even imagine having to move that many pokies. I had to move one pokey and it freaked me out. Now you have to move nine or 10, or I think we have seven in the communal now. That can be a huge deterrent for some people. So for some, it's experience. For some, it's you know cost, having to save up that amount of money to put together one. But I think people hold back because of that. And then the third thing that usually, you know, causes people to be a little gun shy with starting them, even if they have the funds and feel like they're confident enough with the old worlds, is the fact that there is always an inherent risk of cannibalism. There's a huge, that's, and I think that's where the venom comes towards communals when you post online and people jump all over. That's where the stigma comes from. The fact is there is risk involved with setting up a communal with tarantulas. It's, it's, you can't deny it. Now, you can talk about like Elm Balfouri, which we've said is probably the best communal spider that people have found, at least in captivity. There's been no proof they've been, I always got to put that in there because people jump all over it. There's been no proof that they live in communals 
in the wild, but they've people have definitely proven that in captivity they they thrive in a communal environment. So this is the one that's probably the pinnacle of the communal spiders. But even so, you will find some cases out there where one disappears, two disappears. I believe there was a recent one on the boards that Billy was telling me about, where basically somebody put in a bunch and only one came out. Now if she went and ate them all, you had a rogue one there that went and ate the other ones. That can happen, and that's one of the risks, and that's why people on the side against communals will jump all over it when people say, I'm going to set up a communal because they're like, why would you want to take the risk? What is the point of taking the risk? And then it comes down to risk versus reward. Is it worth the risk of having a losing a spider, having an animal die, possibly unnecessarily, because if you kept them separate, that risk wouldn't be there to see the the possibility of these guys getting along well. And I think that's what every keeper needs to ask um, his or herself before setting one of these up is the big question has to be, am I going to be okay if this goes wrong? Because that is a possibility. When I set up the M. Balfouri, and I've explained this story before, I did a ton of research on communal tarantulas. I looked at the, the three that I was looking at at the time were H. Filicella, um, NNC, and the M. Balfouri. And M. Balfouri I was a little worried with because there were more out of my price range, but everything I read about the M. Balfouri, for the most part, pointed to them being a great communal tarantula species in captivity. The majority of things I read said not only do they tolerate each other, they seem to thrive off the socialization or at least having other spiders around them. I'd, I'd heard about faster growth rates. I've heard about them all ending up in one burrow, even if you give them a bunch of room. And I just, it sounded like it was, when I sat down and believe me, there was a long process. I remember talking with Billy, like, I'm not sure I want to do this. And I'm like, yes, I want to do it. And then I'm like, oh, but if it goes wrong, because I knew I was going to document the whole thing. But when it came down to it, my final, the thing that put me over the edge, because I was, I was kind of like, wasn't sure where I was going to go with it. And then it was like, I can document the whole thing, good or bad. And as much as I wasn't relishing the idea of possibly being a villain, if this went wrong, I was very... I was pretty convinced that this was going to go well, but I was thinking if it doesn't go well, people will know. And that's something people need to be aware of. So one way or another, good was going to come out of it. Either I was going to be able to prove these guys do very well in these situations and hopefully inspire others to try it and we could get more information because it can't just be one. Mine could have been an anomaly. Who knows? But the on the flip side, had it gone terribly wrong, I would have looked like a jerk. I would have felt absolutely terrible, but people would have been well aware of that risk should they try it themselves. So obviously, we all know how it ended. It up they they did great and I was able to document it like the first year I think I did some a video like every month documenting it so people would have a really thorough look at what to expect when they set one of these up we caught some cool things and I think that helped and I think that's one of the issues with the communals that makes it really tough is that some of these animals we don't know if they're communal or not yet we have ideas we've seen them in the wild they seem to be in close proximity we talk about pisolotheria as one that is sometimes batted around pisolotheria genus has some species in it that supposedly can live communally and the thought process behind it is that they live in inhospitable regions where sometimes they have to crowd in the same tree so they've gotten used to being tolerant of each other and I think that some people look at that and they go hey I wonder if I can replicate that in my home I wonder if I can get some Pisolotheria species and put them in a smaller aquarium and maybe have them live together the same way they would in the wild if they're crammed together. Now, the key word is crammed. And I think that's where some of the other stigma comes in is a lot of, for a lot of these species, there are rules. And the rules are you have to keep them close together because you don't want them creating their own territories or you have to raise them from sack mates together because if you split them up at any time, they will turn on each other. So you start to see that for some of these communal species, it's not really... 
a good thing per se. So with the M. Balfouri, for example, you've, we've had people prove that you can drop M. Balfouri in from different sizes, from different sacks, and put them in the in the same enclosure, and they usually have good luck with them living communally and continuing to do well. I've had people tell me that they put smaller ones in with bigger ones, and the smaller ones end up growing faster and catch up to the bigger ones. All kinds of neat things that seem to indicate, and again, this isn't scientific, so please don't quote me on it, and saying Tom Moran says this is all proven. It's just things that we've observed from all this keeping them for a little while now that they do well they prosper they actually thrive in this environment well unfortunately with a lot of the so-called communal tarantulas it's not about thriving it's about tolerating having these tarantulas these members of your species these other spiders around you at all times they're not doing necessarily better because of it they're just tolerating the situation so when you have a lot of rules it does make you sit back and kind of examine it and go wait a minute is this species really communal or is it just adapting to poor conditions? And I think that's another spot that causes people to, you know, kind of shun the idea of communals as a whole. And honestly, I I don't completely disagree with it. I sometimes I look at like my and I will use this as an example for the, my two example main examples of this are the two big communals I have. I have one with the M. Balfouri and I have one with the Pisolotheria metallica. With the M. Balfouri, I felt confident setting it up. I had a pretty good idea that it was going to go well. With the Pisolotheria metallica, that one has worried me from day one. I really had to give some serious thought about setting one up, and even when I got them in and set them up, I was so scared that it was going to go wrong because again I was going to show good or bad and if it went bad that's a huge I told you so for people that don't agree with these now what we saw with the the piece of Ethereum Metallica one is they did seem, I will say flat out, one of the things I noticed is compared to the one I raised by itself and having spoken to other people that have experienced the same thing. When you raise a piece of Ethereum Metallica by itself, a lot of folks report that theirs grow much more slowly than their other piece of Ethereum species. They talk about them being coy as far as hunters, not taking down larger food items. I just had a guy the other day say that his exactly like mine did. It was like scared of a cricket. So he put uh, a mealworm in, ate the mealworm, didn't eat for like three weeks. He thought it was in pre-mold and then he decided to drop something else in and it suddenly ate again. We, I saw a lot of that with my own. It wasn't the best eater, especially compared to my other piece of Letheria. They're usually ravenous eaters and grow great. However, the majority of the ones I kept in that communal setup grew much, much more quickly than the one I kept solo. Now, you notice I say the majority because right now there are seven big ones in there. We had one that disappeared. I do not, I honestly do not believe it was eaten, but I can't prove that. I didn't find by the time I rehoused them, I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I took two out because they were definite, they were runs. They were absolutely tiny. We At one point, one of them was an inch and a quarter and the largest one in the enclosure was about three and a half inches. It was that much of a differentiation in size between them. So I ended up taking the two smaller ones out but the other ones seem to be right around the four four and a half inch mark now they appear to be doing well they're still growing quickly they seem to be a bit more bold than mine was my the one I kept solo was at that time so I have seen some indications that they are doing a little better than they normally would have by themselves but that said I've heard lots of rumors and lots of People have told me that, yep, wait till they get around the four to five inch mark, then it turns into a bloodbath. So I have that in the back of my mind freaking me out that someday I'm going to come in there and it's going to be Hunger Games and there's going to be two of them because they have eaten all the rest of them or one of them, whatever it may be. So that's still worrying me. And then part of me is like, 
The only reason this is actually working is because I got them crammed in one enclosure. Now, I gave them a bit more room with the next enclosure. I did use a 12 by 12 by, I think, 18 or 16 inch. It wasn't Exoterra. It's a Zoomed, perhaps, and gave them a lot of, like, a bioactive setup. And at the time, they were they had a, a decent amount of room. I gave them a lot of hides, obviously, in the back, and they still got along very well. But as much as it offered some extra room, this still isn't, this is the type of enclosure that I would use for one giant pokey, never mind seven, you know, large pokies. So that's always in the back of my mind too, that maybe, you know, bottom line, I have the one that I raised separately is in one of those large Sterilite container boxes and has a lot more room to herself than the other ones have. So am I mistreating them by keeping them like this? And I think that's another part of the stigma that comes along with keeping communals is the fact that in a true, if they were truly communal, if they were truly communal animals, you would think that you could give them an entire room worth of space and they would choose to gravitate toward each other and help each other out. With the communal, you want to see not them just doing okay in that situation because they're adapting. You want to see them thriving and doing better as a result of the social contact. So, for example, in contrast to the Mbalfori, that when I rehoused them, they were about three inches or so. I gave them a huge setup, and they all ended up in the same burrow. When I first housed the slings, they were in a, I believe it was 10 by 10 by 12 inch or so enclosure, and they were little half-inch slings. And I remember putting them in, filming that video. I remember it like it's yesterday. And as I'm talking about it, thinking to myself, oh my Lord, what have I done? There's so much space in here. They're going to make territories. Nope. They all ended up in the same burrow. So these were guys that actually purposely gravitated toward each other. And I've heard other people say the same thing, that they've put the Mbalfori in with previously established Mbalfori. They've, instead of forging two, they're creating two different communities. They've all ended up in the same burrows, the big ones, the little ones, the ones that were there before the new ones, whatever it may be, that shows true community. That shows that the spiders are actually seeking out that contact as opposed to the way we set up some of these other ones where we kind of force them to be in close proximity and they've probably developed something through some type of instinct or natural adaptation where in the wild, if they find themselves in seasonal situations where, say, you know, with one of the Pisolotheria species, and I can't remember which one it is, supposedly the area floods really badly, so they all take to the trees and they find themselves in close proximity to other members of their species, it would behoove them to find a way to get along with them because if they all started just going hunger games and killing each other off, that could decimate a population during these times of flooding. So they've learned to kind of, for the preservation of the species, to get along until that water level level settles down and they can kind of branch out more. It makes sense. However, in captivity, we don't have that. We can give them optimal conditions so we don't have to cram them together. So I do get the for lack of a better term, moral issue that people have sometimes with keeping these spiders like that. And then talking about some of the ones that this would apply to, the one that comes to mind is H. Gigas. I can't tell you, like once a month, somebody comes on my H. Gigas video and says, why don't you set up a communal of them? This is one of the species that supposedly you have to have slings that have never been separated, obviously from the same sack. You have to keep them in close proximity to each other. So you have to start them in very small enclosures so they don't have room to branch out. And then you can grow them from there. I've heard of a few instances over the years of people trying to just drop in like, hey, I just picked three of them up and I dropped them in an enclosure. I know in one case, one was at one end of the enclosure, one was at the other end, and obviously there ended up being only one because they encountered each other and one ate the other one. I know another one where they had three of them in a bigger enclosure. One of them went off and did its own little thing. The other two ate each other, and then one of them ate the other one, so they were down to one. That's a situation where you look at, can it work? Yes, but you're going to be kind of forcing it to work. So I get why people 
people would get upset with that. With the NNC, this is an interesting one because this is one of the few species that we've actually witnessed and documented, supposedly the communal behaviors in the wild. So showing that this isn't something that just they adapted to in captivity, they do it in the wild. And this seems to be the one that people have the most trouble with. It seems to be like 50-50. I tried one where I had five slings. They were sack mates. I didn't give them a whole heck of a lot of room. I gave them enough room. And I ended up finding one trying to eat another one. So I had to separate them. I've talked to other people that have had no problems whatsoever. So this is one of those interesting things where this species should be perfect to start off a communal with. Plus, they're not particularly expensive. So for people that don't want to spend a lot of money for a communal, they're very attractive. I think that's why more people try with this species, but the results aren't great. And then that brings you to the question of what what makes a successful communal? I had a conversation with a keeper that I he made some very, I thought, intelligent insights into the communal situation because we were talking about the NNC. And he said, who's to say what's successful is and what's not? We judge a communal to not be successful when one of them cannibalizes another, where in actuality, in the real world, in the wild, there's a very good chance that they naturally weed through the sick and weak ones through cannibalism. So you could say that in the wild, mama hatches an egg sac, all the babies come out, and then there's a period where the babies start to predate on the weaker ones, weeding out those runts, weeding out, weeding out the ones that wouldn't make it normally. And then once they hit a certain level of sustainability where they've, you know, the rest of them are all the strong ones, they're starting to grow, then they start their communal situation. Then they start settling down. So there's going to be some death until they weed through the weak ones, and then things kind of normalize. And when you hear about NNC communals that seem to be very successful. Granted, they're obviously smaller ones that work, but a lot of the ones I've heard that worked really well, people just started with a whole egg sac, dropped it in an aquarium and let it go. Obviously, there were can- there was cannibalism there, but there were so many of them in there to begin with, you couldn't track it, so you weren't really fixating on it. So at the end of the day, they maybe dropped in, I don't know, we'll say they dropped in 50 NNC, at, you know, a year goes by and they have 30 adults. That's a, Most people would consider that a success. They've weeded out the smaller ones. The ones that were strong enough have survived survived, you drop out a bunch of food, they grow, next thing you know it, they're mating, and then they start their next generation. I know there was one out there, I think the one, the first one I saw was a huge tank that had a bunch of NNC in it, HNC at the time, and they were, I think, I want to say it was like third or fourth generation, the guy was just plucking out bunches of them and selling them off because they were reproducing so much. That's an actual, that's a communal, that's working. Are there, is there cannibalism? Yes, but you're not able to notice it, so that can actually work. So then you got to ask, like, what are you willing to put up with? I personally don't know if, like, if I went in, and I'll say it flat out. If I went in and saw one of my Pimatalica right now eating the other one, that'd be the end of the communal. I wouldn't give it another shot. That could be totally natural. That could be something in the environment where one of them recognizes that the other one's sick or weak and they're just weeding it out because they don't want the weak ones to survive. And that helps to obviously sustain the stronger ones, a nice big meal regardless of how natural that may be, that would freak me out and I would separate them. And I think a lot of us are the same way. So I think that we worry about the cannibalism, but on the flip side, there's a very good possibility that in the wild, the cannibalism is natural and serves a purpose and does not necessarily indicate that the communal has gone south, that it's not working. It could mean this is a, how a good communal functions. They weed out the sick ones. However, if that is the case, I don't know many keepers that would see that going on in their communal, see one of them eating another one and not panic and not break them apart. So again, I don't know if that's the case. It's just, it, it's a very 
reasonable theory, quite frankly, and a, a different way of looking at the communals as far as what determines success. So I do think, you know, and again, I'm not telling people, I want to make this very clear because sometimes I say stuff and people get the wrong message from it. I am not telling people that you should keep communals together if they start eating each other. I think for the majority of us, that's the time to pull the plug. I wouldn't, I'm not changing that. I'm not going to sit there. I know there's a situation with a YouTuber fairly recently who set up a communal I won't go through the species because I'm not it's not about bad mouthing but it's about the what people were saying these the individual set up a communal with certain species went to rehouse them and the majority of them had been eaten by the other ones and then chose to keep them together and I think a lot of people from that point were like hey buddy your experiment should be done you need to pull them apart and I agreed like I would not put them back together out there I would call that a huge failure especially when the majority if you start with 10 and you end up like three or four that's really gone south. I don't think anybody can even argue. You can't really argue that that was a successful communal. So I'm not telling people that, hey, if you put a communal together and you lose one, and I'm saying you have to see the one get eaten. That is a stipulation because I've had situations where people have put communals together. I know somebody had a communal of M. Balfouri. I think it was like seven or eight in there. They went to rehouse and there was one less and they're like, I pulled them apart. I, I just assumed they ate them. Well, there are, you can get weak slings. You can get slings that die for no reason and if there's only one of them gone it means they didn't just go totally cannibal holocaust and eating all the rest of them it means that one of them probably died maybe it was predated on by another one but you have no proof of that so i don't call it like if you lose one and you don't see it happen and it's been a while i wouldn't immediately assume that it was a victim of cannibalism that's me personally if i get people going you know what lost one forget it we're done i totally get it believe me, but I don't think that's necessarily a sign that it was eaten. For example, I point to my piece of Litharium Metallica's knock on wood, still doing well, but we had that one disappear very early on. And I will say there was one teeny tiny sling in there that I think that was probably the one that disappeared. That one might've just been too weak and it might've just died. That might've been completely natural. We don't know, but I do think that when setting them up, you need to, and, and here are some things to think about before getting into the communal, a picture yourself rehousing them. Cause that seems to be the biggest thing I hear from people is you're like, yep, I've got this communal set up and all I've been thinking about is, oh my gosh, now I have to rehouse them at some point. And I can I can totally sympathize because Billy and I discussed the rehousing of my M. Balfouri the first time for probably six months before we actually did it. It was a constant conversation between us like, oh, should we do this? Should we do, how should we do it? So I totally get that. We weren't scared of it. I wasn't losing sleep over it, but I was mulling it over quite a bit and realizing that it could prove to be a bit of a difficult endeavor once we sat down to do it. So I do think before you pick one up, you need to ask yourself, can I picture myself doing this? Do I feel comfortable with this? If you're doing an old world species, yes, this is one of those situations where I'd say you better have some experience with old worlds. You don't want a situation where you pop open your enclosure and these things start bolting around and you panic because that could be an absolute nightmare for everybody involved. You need to feel comfortable. You need to feel very comfortable with your rehousings before picking one of these up. The next question you should be asking yourself before starting a communal is, am I I going to be okay if something goes wrong? Because I do think that is something we can't ignore. There is the possibility that one of them cannibalizes another or things go south. Are you okay with that? And I will tell you, personally speaking, I obviously have the communals. I've done it. I, I, 
I eventually came to the conclusion that good or bad, because I do have a platform now, good or bad, at least it's going to inform people. So if they go well, people might have that, that might be the push some people need to try it out because I think it can't just be one person. I mean, this is the kind of the fine line, the slippery slope of keeping communals that we don't want to take chances with them. But then again, if we don't take some chances, we don't find things like the M Balfouri that somewhere along the line, somebody went, Hey, you know what? These do great as a communal. Let me try this out here. Or I think these will do great as a communal. Let me try this out. And they did it and it worked. And then somebody else saw that and said, let me try it. If that person didn't try it, we'd never know. And I, it makes you wonder, and I'm, I hesitate to say this because that'll lead to my final part of this, but it, it makes you wonder how many other species would work. We talked about the C. olivaceum and how there's footage out there of the C. olivaceum living in close proximity to each other. And I, you know, one of the things when I first saw that years ago, I was like, man, these guys are communal. Now that I've matured a bit and done some more research and kind of kept some communals, one of the things I'm realizing is not so much, they're, they're all living in the same area, but it's they clearly have their own territories and there's clearly an abundant food source that comes right to them. They have these millipedes that climb up and they eat the millipedes. It looks like the millipedes are all over the stone rocks, so they don't have to venture far from their burrows, so they're not coming into contact with each other. I have a funny feeling that if those millipedes dried up and they weren't there anymore as a food source, these guys would go out hunting and there would be friction. So I don't think it's nece- it's not a species as much as it looks cool that I would try keeping communally. So I think for some of us, it comes down to like, we start to wonder which other species could be kept communally. And I think that's where it gets a little bit dangerous. But then on the flip side, if people don't try this stuff out in the first place, we never figure it out. And we never, you know, honestly, for those of us who have kept communals, we can, it's, it's amazing. It's my M. Balfouri communal is one of the coolest things I've ever done in the hobby. I am so glad that I tried it. It's, it's still one of the highlights when I walk into my tarantula room, seeing those guys interact on a daily basis. I'm so glad I did it but we do need to be prudent we do need to be careful we do need to use our brains before trying it out with other species so i do think you know right off the bat is going through this ask yourself if you can do the rehousing ask yourself if you can live with the fact that this could go wrong that you could be sitting on a situation and it shouldn't be a money thing i hate where it's like people like oh i'd hate to lose that because it costs a lot of money obviously when you spend money on something you don't want to waste your money but it should be the you know you're thinking about tarantula lives here we don't want to unnecessarily put them at risk and lose spiders it's it's just especially some of the species like there are people out there that would kill to own one piece of letharia metallica now I have a whole bunch of them. When they see, if I were to report, yeah, two of them got eaten, they'd be like, what a waste. I would kill for one of those and you just put them in there and let them get eaten. So I see where the anger comes from as far as setting these up. I just do think it's a situation where we sometimes owe it to ourselves to give it a try and see what works. Now, back to the whole idea of trying out which species work. I'm not encouraging people to go out and just say, hey, we're going to put some B. Smithy together and see what happens. Or we're going to put some uh, gigas together and see what happens. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are species out there we've kept be- been keeping long enough, we've done enough observations in the wild that we have a pretty good idea of the ones that it may work with. But I get a lot of questions of like on species. The other day, it was a Fonapelma calcotis. Hey, Tom, love the species. I'm thinking about trying to communal with them. No, there is no indication that that species lives communally. We've got enough information to know that that's not how they live in the wild. There's no point. The females have their burrows. The males go out and try to find females. 
th- there's no situation where Camuto would work, and I get a lot of that. So I do think it's it's a matter of paying attention to the work that's already been done, the research that's already been done, the papers that have already been done, and when you choose a species you want to keep communally, choose one that there is already evidence that it works. All spiders are not communal. I had somebody say to me once in a comment, how do we know they're not all communal spiders? How do we know that we can't, in the in our collections, force these situations where they're forced to live with each other in close proximity? Maybe that'll stimulate that type of behavior there, and we can make all tarantulas communal. I don't think that's really how it works. If you look at some of the places where these guys come from, they have huge territories, they have their burrows, they don't leave them very much, they don't encounter each other. They're not going to suddenly, if you shove them together in a tank to in your collection going to flip a switch and become communal animals. It doesn't work that way. So I do think if you're considering a communal, please, this is one of these spots. And my originally today, I was going to talk a bit about research for the podcast because I've been getting a lot of folks lately who have been contacting me that you can tell have already picked up an animal and have done zero research on it. But I decided to keep it a little more upbeat. But that this is a spot where you don't play around. If you're looking at getting into communal tarantulas, you should definitely have some experience, as we've mentioned, and you should have definitely done plenty of research. You should know the quote unquote rules. I still get people that will go, Hey, I'm setting up a communal. I've got an M. Balfouri communal and I'm jamming them all together. And it's like, have you not done the research on it? Because the majority of folks out there that put them together, fine. They all go, if it's going to work, they all go to the same den anyway. I have video of mine. I had somebody that say I'm a mine when I re- when I housed the slings, isn't that way too big for the enclosure? Even though there was a whole set of videos afterwards they could have watched showing it was not too big. They all settled in the same hole. They created a, a true community where they all basically were in the same area. They webbed together. They ate together. They fed off the same prey items. They uh, This person obviously wasn't doing their research. You need to, whatever species, if it's H. villicella, if it's NNC, if it's P. metallica, if it's H. gigas, it's just M. balfouri, do the research. Do as much research as you can. Watch every video you can. When I was doing M. balfouri, I was reading articles, I was reading blogs, I was reading arachnoboards, I was going on YouTube and watching any video I could find with them. That's how I figured out there was a lot of good information that seemed to point that it worked, but nobody had really followed it all the way through to go, look, Look at here it is day one, here it is day 700 or whatever. This is what's going on. There was there was none of that con- continuity running through. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do one so badly. But there is a lot of information out there now. So this is something if you're looking at a communal, don't let it be like, hey, you know what? And I think this is what's happening in some cases. It's, hey, I just got a check for blah, blah, whatever the checks are. I got some extra money. I want to buy some spiders. I just saw a video, somebody was keeping something communally, that looks awesome, I'm going to pick some up. And then after they get them, they start shooting out the emails, hey, does this enclosure look okay for this? Is this too much room? After they're already in it. No, that's hugely irresponsible. I think, again, when, and this is one of the things with communals, I think there's always going to be detractors. I think there's always going to be people that no matter what they see are going to go, you shouldn't do it anyway. I don't care how good yours is, this guy's is going to go wrong, or you're going to lose one, or I, I, and I guess I get that mentality, but we don't need to encourage that by doing things like picking up a bunch of slings, dropping them in an enclosure that's way too big because we didn't do our research, having them die and then run onto the boards or run onto the Facebook group going, yeah, mine didn't work. They all ate each other when it's because you didn't do the research for it. You didn't follow the rule set for that particular species. I think that would be a shame. So there is, I I think there's obviously with keeping any animal, there's a certain there's a certain level of responsibility you need to show. You owe it to your animal to do the research, to set it up correctly, to check with people when things aren't going well, where there's questions. That's an important part. Double that. 
triple that, quadruple that when you're doing a communal setup because there's a lot on the line with these things because it's, again, people have tried it over the years, but it seems like recently a lot, there's a lot more interest in it and a lot more people are actually trying them out. So we're going to get valuable information from this and we don't need to cloud the pool of information with people who just didn't do the research, set them up and it was doomed to fail to begin with. It's kind of like, you know, again, I'll get emails, hey, I can't figure out why my spider died. Could you, you know, take a look at the enclosure? And they send me pictures of it, and the enclosure was set up completely inappropriately. It's like, well, your spider died because you didn't do your research and you didn't set it up right, and it probably never settled in. It's even worse if we do that with these communals because people, there are people out there that are going to latch onto that. They're going to look at this guy, every one of them died, and not look deeper and see that, you know what, the guy probably shouldn't have been keeping one spider, never mind 10 of them in the same enclosure. So, Again, it's they're awesome. They're amazing. I encourage people that have settled into the hobby, that know what they're doing, that know how to do their rehousings, that have their basic husbandry down, that have done their research, please try one. They are so worth it. And please don't be afraid to report on what you're seeing. It's it's crucial that we gather this information. I love hearing I, I, people email me just telling me like things they've witnessed in their communal setups. And I love hearing that stuff because that's more information to add to the pool. That's more evidence that these can work well. Or if something goes wrong, don't be afraid to put it out there and share it. Again, I, I think one of the worst things that can happen is people have one that go wrong and they just quietly like... I, I, that's what scared me sometimes about when I was researching the communal setups for the Elm Balfouri is we get a lot of things where people were reporting, it's going well, look at them, they're all together and suddenly nothing. It's like, okay, what happened here? Where did they go? What Did you stop reporting because you got sick of YouTube or did you stop reporting because you're embarrassed to admit they all got killed? And I think that was something that I had to, when I got into keeping the communals to do some soul searching on, realize that I'm going to report it, good or bad, and I'm going to take a lot of crap if it goes bad, if it goes badly, but I deserve it and it needs to get out there so I was I'm still ready you know I've got the I got the P Metallica one in there that I'm feeling more comfortable with now I saw them the other day they're all laying out right next to each other it was great so I'm feeling better about it but god forbid something should go wrong I'm going to take my medicine I'm going to go out there I'm going to report on it so people are aware of it and uh, show that all right maybe these guys do well to a certain point and that's it so so to make it clear, I'm not doing this podcast to deter people. I just want people to look at this realistically, understand what's involved, understand what they need to come to the table with, understand the risks, and understand that when you set one of these up, there's a certain amount of responsibility to the hobby to make sure that you do your research, set them up correctly, because any information we get from these is very important to keepers so that we know what to expect when keeping these in the future to kind of gain that pool of information that we have so that we're more confident with keeping them to avoid mistakes or eventually it comes to a point to be able to prove definitively that they do well in communal setups that these are beyond just a risky freak show to get you know youtube views or to just you know say hey look at i've caught I kept a bunch of tarantulas together that there's something to gain out of it i think that's a huge and important part of it so it again i want i'm always encouraging people and anybody that's emailed me knows that i'm always encouraging people to try a communal when they're ready i try to talk to people that are interested in some of the other species about things that I found because I did a lot of research before I set up my M. Balfouris on all of the communal species. I try to share some of the rules with them so that they're not going in blind. So I'm definitely a proponent of them. However, I do see the other side of it. And I think more people are coming from that other side. More people are starting to open their minds a little bit and recognize that these are can be really cool and they can be successful. But 
we have a long ways to go before it's universally accepted in the hobbies that the communal setups are anything more than just a precarious experiment at best that puts spiders unnecessarily at risk. I think we have a long ways to go before we prove that. So that's my two cents on communals. I wanted to get into this because, again, I've been getting a lot of folk. I think it's all that money going around now for the... <laughs> the stimulus, I, I think a lot of it's going to tarantulas, but I did want to make sure that there was some point where I articulated my thoughts on it. Personally speaking, I, I did agonize over every every communal I've set up, I've agonized over because I am in a situation where people, if I do something, a lot of people are going to emulate me and I don't want to be somebody, I don't want to ever be in a situation, and I've mentioned this before when talking about communals, where somebody goes out there, I set up a communal, it goes poorly, but by that point, a bunch of other people have already done the same thing and followed my lead and then theirs go poorly and I've just been the cause of a bunch of dead spiders. I never want to be in that situation. It's one of the reasons why when I do my communal videos, I'm usually saying this is like an experiment for me. I hate using that term because if I put a communal together, I'm pretty sure it's going to go well, but I don't want people to immediately go oh look at tom's doing it it's going to work i don't know and i try to make that very clear and i've had people go man you don't feel you don't sound like you're very certain over these i it's not that i'm not certain i'm just always worried that something's going to go wrong and that would be uh, that would bother me that would cause me a lot of guilt if something went wrong with one of the spiders so that's something you need to be aware of setting them up again do your research have some experience this isn't something you just jump right into trust me on that one we did the I mean, again, all my rehousings and my communities have gone well, but I kind of pride myself on my rehousings. We've done a lot of them, and I think we thought them through very well. Granted, the last one we did was the infamous one where I kept forgetting to put the top back on my catch cup for the uh, P. Metallicas. But besides that, it went really well. Everybody went in where they needed to. So watch those videos. Do your research. Give it a lot of thought before you attempt it. Is it worth it? Yes. But again, you owe it to the hobby to make sure that you do everything right with these also, don't get creative and try to do it with species. The big one that comes up a lot, and I'll just mention this, is the Avicularia Avicularia. I get a lot of people asking me, can they be kept communally? Apparently, there's been information out there that people have witnessed them living in close proximity in the wild. And I do know of exactly one instance where people were supposedly, was a pet store that had a bunch of adults together that they said they had raised from slings. But again, that's one instance. That's not enough for me to take that kind of chance. I, I'm sure some people will chime in on this one with, examples of ones that they've heard about that's the only one i've heard of that supposedly was successful from slings to adults and even then there's limited information on it we don't know how many they started with sure they had six adults but did they start off with like 50 slings we don't know so there's not enough on it. it's not one i'll just say that's not one i would ever try one with there's other species we won't get, but that one's been popping up and Caribbean of Versicolor, believe it or not, which I, I've heard of people try. I think I read a thread on Arachnoboards years ago where somebody's like, I want to try this. And I, I have never heard of a successful one with one of those. I mean, feel free. Somebody wants to feel uh, chime in and tell me of an example they have or give me, show me an example where it worked, but that's not a species I would try it with. They're voracious eaters. I could see if you crammed them together as slings, it'd probably last for a little while as long as there was enough food, but I could also see it going south very, very quickly. So those are two that have popped up quite a bit lately with people, I think because they're, well, not so much with the Caribbean Versicolors, but with the Avicularia, they're rather inexpensive. So I'm thinking people are like, oh, this would be a good one to try out. Those aren't ones I'd try it with, but who knows, maybe years from now, we revisit this topic and this is one that people have found that work. I, 
I just don't think it is. So anyway, that will do it for this one. As always, if you want to find me at my website, it's tomsbigspiders.com. I am on YouTube. Again, Tom Moran, tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me there. Hope everybody is doing well. It's been a crazy, crazy 2020. Things just get weirder and weirder. And again, it's not that I'm insensitive to things going on out there. It's just for a lot of us, I think this is escapism, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But I do hope everybody is safe and doing well. That's it for this one. We'll catch you guys all next time.